Hello and welcome to Snyder's Return, a tabletop roleplay podcast. Today we set the stage for my guest to appear, his arrival foreshadowed by a foggy outline. As we maintain our vigil, we must not underestimate them, for when the lights go out, we will be greeted by far more than a mere roleplayer, but an individual of incredible and versatile talent. As we take comfort in the main house, we wait and watch as they combine the intimacy of candlelight with the awe-inspiring limelight to bring us revelations that could cause us to go supernova. What horrors will they bring? What monster this week? As our fate is determined by a turn of a card, or maybe that's vice versa. We welcome writer, editor, producer and podcaster Matt Boothman to the show. Matt, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for that great intro. Thank you. Well, Matt, before we go into some of the things that I've alluded to there in the intro, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into what podcasting and tabletop role-playing games, please? Yeah, sure. And they, they sort of go hand in hand. I ended up getting into both roughly the same time. Um, I'm, I guess, relative a relative newcomer to role-playing games. Um, I did not play one until 2017. Um, and my my route in was uh, as i'm sure it is for a lot of people playing nowadays uh, was critical role and the adventure zone so seeing actual plays before i ever actually played myself or kind of read a rule book or anything like that and we had a, a nice bit of coincidence that as i was starting to get into critical role and starting to get that feeling of i could really get into this i could i could see myself playing these games how on earth do you get a group together Someone else in my group of friends was having a, a similar sort of um, awakening and mm. got a group together. We started playing D&D 5th edition um, and branching out from there. Um, after D&D, my next kind of stepping stone was powered by the Apocalypse games purely because of the the Adventure Zone showcasing them. So going from... Uh, in the middle or, or nearing the end of a big long D and D fifth edition campaign, to a kind of a season with a powered by the apocalypse framework, mm. suddenly went oh oh games can be this way as well, and I started seeking out different games of of that kind. Um, started experimenting with it, it was interesting that I my first exposure to powered by the apocalypse was as a framework to be hacked rather than as a like a published mm. game. Yeah. So I knew the Adventure Zone hack of the Powered by the Apocalypse system before I ever read Apocalypse World or Masks <laughs> or, or any of those mm. games. So I think the first actual published thing that I sought out from that was uh, Avery Alder's Simple World, which is sort of a game, but also sort of a guide to hacking Powered by the Apocalypse and creating your own Powered by the Apocalypse games to, to emulate whatever genre. Um, I hacked together... Uh, small uh ghost story themed powered by the apocalypse game ran it for some friends on a holiday uh, everybody had a great time and some of those friends uh, are part of a theater company called blackshaw theater company and i approached them after the holiday and said wasn't that fun would you like to do it on a regular basis as a podcast so that's the that's the route in mm. that's uh, and it's it's been that podcast started in october 2017 uh, it's called Merely Role Players, uh, which is a, a good riff on the fact that it's role playing, but we are all theatrical people. <laughs> um, and that's been going uh, 
since October 2017 with a couple of breaks, but pretty regularly since then. All right. Well, you know, um, yeah, similar to you, I, I got in through Critical Role and, and you've taken a, a, a varied path, which is which is great. And uh, how how did you find the, the almost the mindset shift from the, the D&D D20 game structure to the Powered by the Apocalypse Monster of the Week style games? Uh, it took some time to work out um, that it is, like you say, it's a gear shift um, in terms of kind of the relationships between players and GM and in terms of like the role that dice play mm. is is quite different between 5th edition and, and Powered by the Apocalypse. I think the, the biggest thing to get my head around was the idea that you resolve like you can resolve a situation involving a player and a non-player character with just one role that the player makes. Mm. It was working out. So, but, but when does the non-player character deal their damage or take their action? Like that was the hardest thing to get my head around. And I don't think I fully grasped it until I, until I actually did pick up a copy of Apocalypse World and read that because mm. the bakers explain it so clearly and so evocatively in that book. Like it really is foundational for that kind of system. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I was nodding on there because I'm thinking, yeah, I had this, this, the very same issues. And you mentioned uh, merely role players. So uh, we'll do the... We'll do the social medias and then I can ask you more questions as we go through. So Merely Role Players, where can we find you and everything that you're doing at the moment? Uh, everything is at merelyroleplayers.com. Uh, that site has all of the links to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them. It also has all of the social media links for your, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we have an Instagram, we have a YouTube channel where all of the episodes go up because I'm told by the podcast press that... <laughs> a significant portion of the podcast listening public listen on YouTube, which I can't get my head around, but apparently they do. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's all the main channels, but yeah, merely roleplayers.com is the, uh, the place that you want. And scrolling down. So on your website, you've got, uh, the merely roleplayers stuff vigil, uh, which I alluded to. So, so would you mind describing, oh, I promise we'll get to why I brought you on, which is very special and I want to build up to it. So I'm sort of jump, jumping in a bit almost, but um, what, what's vigilant and, and what will people get, um, what will they experience by listening to it, I should say? So we, we have two different kind of streams on, on the podcast, on Merely Role Players. We, we divide the stuff that we put out into main house productions and studio productions, which is terminology we've borrowed from the theatre. Um, so Vigil is our current main house production, and that's uh, to cater to if you're a Critical Role fan, if you're a, a Adventure Zone fan, if what you like in your actual play role-playing game podcasts is an ongoing story with consistent characters that you can get to know and ongoing plot threads that you can get your teeth into and speculate about uh, and um, you know long, satisfying plot arcs that kind of thing that's what we do in the main house so vigil is a monster of the week campaign so that's a, a powered by the apocalypse game uh based on um creating stories like buffy like supernatural that kind of thing um we put a very english twist on monster of the week so if you read the book it's so us centric everybody's got guns um and i mean that's the that's the main that's the main giveaway <laughs> Um, so, you know, we, we've taken that and put it in, uh, 
like a neglected middle English town. And the reason everybody's got guns is the hot fuzz reason of everyone's packing around here, <laughs> farmers and farmers' mums. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of characterize it as it's kind of uh, a little bit Buffy, but by way of the movie Hot Fuzz, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, a semi-rural, very neglected uh, English country town uh, where um, austerity means that it no longer has a team of like publicly sponsored supernatural investigators Hmm. they've pulled out which means that things are going bump in the night left right and center when they weren't before and so a load of concerned citizens who are not trained to deal with that kind of thing are not getting paid for it are just trying to get on with their lives while also dealing with this stuff uh, have to kind of step into the breach and deal with all of all of the uh boggarts and uh, elementals and all sorts of other things that are crawling out of the woodwork now they're no longer being suppressed <laughs> and it sounds brilliant and I, I love the the uh, fusion is a strange word to use but I'm going to use it the fusion of the the American style with the the, the English twist is brilliant uh, and and if you on your website scroll a bit further down there's first Nova I believe that's a yeah. Right so on that. yeah, yeah. So the first Nova is our most recent studio show. So the 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 other stream that we have on the show is the studio where we do more uh, one off one shot uh, stories. So we'll what we'll do is we'll do um, a five episode season of Vigil, which is a full mystery of you know a, a monster appears in episode one and we defeat the monster in episode five. Uh, and then we'll close the main house for a few weeks and we'll do a studio production. This is partly just so we don't get stuck in a rut. It's mm. to keep us kind of fresh. And it's also with an eye on uh, potentially if and when Vigil ends, what is going to be our next main house production, it'll probably come from the studio. Okay. So the first Nova is our most recent one of those one-off experimental shows. Um, and that is a, uh, a space opera, a star fantasy um, and for that one, we're playing uh, Galactic Second Edition, which is a belonging outside belonging game uh, written by Riley Rathal. Um, so that's, I mentioned Avery, Avery Older earlier. Mm. She pioneered this whole belonging outside belonging, no dice, no masters uh, system, kind of an evolution of Powered by the Apocalypse games, where there are no dice, there's no game master, everything runs on a token economy mm. of uh, uh, characters make mistakes and weak moves to gain tokens that then allow them to make stronger moves later down the line which we just found it's a, a yet another gear shift mm. from you know D to power by the apocalypse is one gear shift and then you go into belonging outside belonging where you don't have a gm everybody's sharing that gm responsibility anybody can jump in and start you know setting the scene for the other players mm. um so a learning curve, but really enjoyed it. I'm really, really happy with the with the result of that. No, oh, definitely brilliant. It sounds it sounds a lot of fun, and the system sounds uh, very different to a lot of things that I've played or, or seen being played. So I'd, I'd yeah. make a note of that. I, definitely, go on. I, I'd wanted to play Galactic uh, for ages since that I, I I bought it when the first edition came out and didn't get to play it until the second edition came out. But it was um, the fact that it was pitched as uh, this is a Star Wars-inspired game, but it's for people 
it, it is to tell the sort of stories that we wish the Star Wars movies would tell. <laughs> so it's if you're watching the more recent Star Wars movies and you are more uh, invested in um, Finn and Poe and the Storm Pilot ship than you are in any of the Palpatine nonsense, mm-hmm. then Galactic is the game to play because it lets you, it really focuses on those relationships and lets you tell those stories instead of the uh, silly space necromancer ones. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, so people can go and, and listen to the, the incredible main house and studio uh, content you put out, I'll make sure there are links in the description below to your website and your links on Twitter uh, and various other things so people can can find you, follow you, and support you where possible. Uh, Thank you very much. I hope I hope anybody finding us from this really enjoys it. Find something to enjoy. Have a scroll back through the archives because we've done a lot of different productions, and you know if you're if you're not fancying the sound of space fantasy you know we've got kind of uh spy fi stories we've got ghost stories we've got all sorts of stuff in those studio productions yeah definitely something for for everyone and uh you mentioned the uh sort of the theater it's uh would you do you want to give a shout out to your, your theater and your cast and, and everybody else that's uh, involved with your show absolutely yeah so we, we have uh risen from uh spun off from blackshaw theater company um and are still it's in the credits for every episode it's still produced in association with blackshaw theater company many of the voices that you'll hear on merely role players also crop up in blackshaw theater company productions on the stage and on their podcast they produce a lot of audio drama as well um it's a south london based uh, theater collective um i know them because i went to university with most of them i'm a i was a theater student um and they they are that company is my friend group essentially so mm. um we're all very close um but they uh they have quite a kind of they built a reputation as a new writing company in london so they had a, a regular i think monthly or bi-monthly new writing night that ran above a pub for years mm. uh, where people could come along and try out new work and they would sometimes talent scout some of that new work and develop it into full productions. So kind of new writing, producing theater. Um, and uh, they also have a very strong audio drama strand as well. So sometimes when they do a, th- a stage production, they will then talk to the playwright about adapting it for the for the radio. Mm. Um, and uh, have done productions as original audio dramas as mm. well so things like adaptations of great expectations they did a like a epic kind of six or seven part uh fully sfx uh, adaptation of great expectations um and uh, their most recent couple of productions um the the miss mcskimming mysteries uh are plays that are designed to be performed on stage as a radio recording. So if you've ever been to see radio being recorded live, you know, it's mm. it's not actors fully embodying the characters, it's actors standing by the mics, te- potentially script in hand, and it's giving a vocal performance. But um, they have a live Foley team on the stage, uh, you know, dropping balloons into bowls of water and snapping bits of celery when somebody gets punched and, and all of these sorts <laughs> of things. So the audience in the room on the night of recording gets that experience of they get to see how the sausage is made and how all of those sound effects are created. Um, and then 
the product that they get out of it then they're recording the whole show and it then gets mixed and mastered and put out as an audio drama mm. uh building on on that sort of audience witnessing the audio recording the audio drama being produced that sort of is a nice sort of step up uh treading the boards as it were into lights out uh, if you wouldn't mind giving us a a a presse a a I can't give you an ask for a preview. That's entirely unfair because that probably require cast members and things. But um, a, a description of what it is and 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 what people can expect when they come and watch it. Absolutely. So, lights out is the merely role players team getting back to our roots as theatrical people um, and doing a show, a live show on the stage. So, it is a merely role players show it's the merely role players team and it'll have the merely role players uh maximum drama energy that we always strive for mm. um what it isn't is a live podcast episode recording um and those are very valid um and we may we may do something like that at some point but this is a this is a stage show by the team behind the podcast. So uh, it will have, yeah, let me let me sum up the story for you. So uh, it's in development because it's, by nature, it is improvisational. So I don't know fully what's going to happen. Um, but uh, the story will be uh, four people uh, died in the dark one time and on the stage we are going to step into their shoes and see if we can reconstruct what happened to them. So our actors have studied those people and their lives so that they can embody them, they can make the decisions they would make. And then, but how do we simulate the things that we that nobody can know, uh, the, the strangenesses that they discovered on that final night of their lives? Uh, we are going to discover those things through drawing from the tarot so this might and the whole thing is being done by candlelight uh, and the candles also play a role in the storytelling if a candle in front of a character goes out something very bad happens to that character and anybody who's played uh the incredible game 10 candles by stephen dewey of cavalry games is going to recognize some of those elements we started with 10 candles as a kind of a framework and have hacked it and built on that to create something that is designed to be performed in front of an audience as opposed to played in a group of friends. So uh, the 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 short version is it is a 10 candles-ish actual play of tragic horror. It is an improvised story about four people who are going to die by the end of the story, but what we don't know is whether they will find hope before they do. And we, and we don't know the circumstances. What led to their demise? What choices did they make along the way? That's the stuff that the the audience is turning up to find out and that we're turning up to find out because <laughs> a lot of it is down to a candle randomly going out or a particular card being drawn from a deck. So exactly the, you know, the same reason that you would listen to an actual play where you part of the appeal is you don't know what's going to happen because everything comes down to a roll of the dice you get exactly the same experience here it's it's such a a unique premise and as you say you built and uh 
hacked always always seems a, a strange one to use when you're on about like a, a, a macabre or a darker subject. But um, I can imagine a sort of being in the audience, being sort of drawn in by the soft lighting that the candle lights and and um, really sort of feeling a, that that sense of of wonder. But again, potentially not the right word given the the themes, but sort of being drawn into the the what is happening on the stage that that uh, yourself and the the team are performing. It's such a a wonderful idea. And is that for uh, for a Halloween event? What's what's this in in aid of? Should we say? Yeah. So we're performing this as part of the the London Horror Festival which is an, an annual, uh, I believe it is an anniversary this year, and I'm going to embarrass myself by not knowing whether it's the 5th or the 10th, but it's a significant anniversary for the festival this year. Um, so the London Horror Festival is a is a horror theatre festival that runs throughout October and over Halloween. Um, our slot is on Sunday the 24th of October, 8.30pm, so after dark as is only appropriate hmm. um and it's uh, blackshaw theater have a really strong history with the london horror festival so i talked about their new writing nights earlier hmm. um they also for uh the last five or six years must be the um it must be a, a bigger anniversary for the horror festival because blackshaw have been performing there for six or seven years now um doing the the scare slam which is uh, if you've ever been to a poetry slam or a spoken word night, it's that, but scary stories. Um, so performers will come along and they'll read an extract from a play they've written or a, a monologue they've written or, um, uh, you know, a, a, a scary letter or something like that, that um, uh, performing in that kind of poetry slam, spoken word night style where mm. like those radio plays, it's it's just a person by a mic with a spotlight on them in a dark room, but you get that kind of campfire story atmosphere. Um, so Blackshaw have been running that for, uh, so this is the sixth time they've done it, but it's for seven years because we missed last year because of COVID. Of course, yeah. Um, and uh, Lights Out is running in a double bill with that this year. So the scare slam will be six thirty. Then uh, there's a bar at the theatre. There's a pub downstairs that does pizza, and then at eight thirty, lights out. So you get enough time to get a drink, steal your resolve, fill your belly, and prepare for a immersive experience that uh, you guys will be providing. That's what we're hoping, and and we're hoping it makes a good double bill because you have kind of an hour of bite-sized scares and chills and thrills from the scare slam mm. and then that hopefully whets your appetite for the full uh the the hour long single story improv of lights out mm. yeah definitely so has has sort of um this this horror side of things so you vigil has sort of the the monsters and that the horror elements to it and this is very much focused on that that darker theme is that the sort of themes and uh, emotions you you prefer to express or is this just just something that um has come with you along in your podcasting performing journey it's weird it, a few years ago i probably wouldn't have ever said i was a horror fan like if you look at what i read it's mostly sci-fi and fantasy if you look at kind of the movies i watch ditto to be honest um so in a way 
you know, this is where the imposter syndrome kicks in. And I go, I don't know what I'm doing in the horror space. But um, but yes, I have done work in, in that genre. Um, I am interested in it. Uh, I think it is a good genre to explore at difficult times. Um, so, and I, I'm interested in kind of uh, the the cosmic side of it, but not so much the Lovecraft side of it. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm very influenced by William Hope Hodgson, uh, who was a sort of early 20th century British horror writer uh, who wrote a series of stories about kind of an early proto-Ghostbuster character, mm. uh, Karnaki the Ghostfinder, who all of the short stories about him are um, him spending vigils in haunted rooms inside his uh, steampunk electrical pentacle uh, and, you know, dealing with the manifestations that come from the from the haunted room throughout the night. Mm. Um, and there's something about that, uh, about that kind of um, image of the the human in the the uh, the fragile protective circle in the dark surrounded by candles uh beset by terrible cosmic things uh trying to break in uh and another thing that appealed to me about those stories specifically was that Hodgson had quite interesting thoughts about kind of where hauntings might come from so it was it was never kind of the the simple easy hand wavy oh a, a person died and this is their ghost mm. um he had a kind of whole horror cosmology in a you know a, a lovecraft mythos light kind of thing about the outer monstrosities and the the various rings of reality uh, and what they what they all housed um but my favorite story of his the the whistling room um is about it is about a room where a grisly death happened but the manifestation, the haunting that fills the room is not the spirit of the departed person. It is almost like the accumulation of the legend and the story around them that has come to haunt the room. <laughs> so it's because everybody knows there was a grisly murder in here, because everybody knows that the 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 um, the victim uh, whistled mockingly as he died. It's it's the it's the imaginations of the survivors that have made the room whistle that have made the room haunted as opposed to the, you know, the soul or the afterlife of the, of the person. Hmm. It sounds like an incredible sort of collection of works um, that uh, actually I'm, I, I get the information off and I'll put it in the, the description of the podcast. Cause I think a lot of people would, would really sort of take up on that there's been a an in, a, you know a pick up in in horror and an eldridge style um sort of horror and things like that so I, I think i think that's definitely worth putting in the show notes so please scroll down and check the description below not only can you follow matt and merely role players and um blackshaw theater company but you can also check out this fantastic horror work that's just been mentioned there hodgson is definitely worth checking out if you like lovecraft but don't want all of the racism yes <laughs> um and and uh i would be silly not to mention the fact that i i wrote a play about karnaki the ghost finder um so a kind of he's out of copyright so it's not fanfic it's a it's a you know a legitimate derivative work mm. um like i said i was drawn to the idea of that 
that scene of the person in the in the circle so i wrote a play set in the circle wow. um entirely set within the electric electric pentacle and um if you go to uh my site at foggyoutline.com you can get uh you can listen to the audio drama that blackshaw produced of that play tying it all together mm. um and you can also download an ebook which has the script and uh several of the original hodgson stories in it as well Wow. If you want a primer. Yeah, that will also be in the description <laughs> below yeah. this podcast. So go and check that out. Uh, question slightly on a tangent, but to actually totally not. Foggy Outline, where did the, the origins of that name come from? So that comes from the fact that, uh, so I, I used to compartmentalize a lot uh, of the, the the different kind of strands of work that I did. So, um you know, separate Twitter accounts for day job and and like extracurricular creative work, um, separate websites for podcasts, playwriting, whatever else it was I was doing that week. Um, and that is just too much admin, mm. to be perfectly frank. Um, and so when I was co- I was consolidating everything together and going, no, 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 put it all on one site, um, much easier for everybody and you know you get nice cross pollination if somebody comes to look at the podcast they end up seeing the the playwriting stuff as well it's all good for me um but i was going what do i call this then <laughs> what is the what is the um address going to be um and that name just comes from the the more i thought about that and the more i was trying to think about like how do i describe all of the different stuff the more i started thinking that actually the little boxes that you put those different things in are not as solid and rigid as they look mm-hmm. and that the 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 borders between say theater and actual play or the borders between radio drama and stage drama the borders between um uh, you know writing for prose versus writing for drama all of those borders are incredibly foggy <laughs> and so <laughs> So foggy outline is kind of is almost like a manifesto statement of mm. uh, categories of bullshit. <laughs> no, I don't believe in them. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you for for sort of uh, letting us in on that. Uh, a quick question: we touched on it briefly, and obviously, I don't want to delve into personal life too much. But how much has your your day job interacted and worked with your sort of creative side the podcast and things like that and and how much has gone the other way is there a sort of connect between the two or have you tried to sort of disconnect and keep the two very much as separate entities despite the foggy outlines <laughs> yeah like i said i used to compartmentalize a lot more um i think that the biggest influence from the so my day job is in uh, marketing and pr i'm a, a writer and an editor so I mean, there's already a, a connection there that, you know, I'm I'm writing creatively outside work and I'm writing creatively, but for a kind of more selling purpose uh, in, in my day job. Um, I think that the biggest skill that I've kind of brought over from the day job is uh, interviewing. So the, there's elements of the day job that touch on journalism. I have to inf- interview people about what they do all day. I have to sometimes ask quite probing questions about why things work a certain way in their workplace to try and get a sense of what could be done differently. Mm. Um, and uh, when I started in that industry, 
12 or 13 years ago, I was very bashful and not very good at talking to anybody on the phone um, or, or over, you know, there weren't a lot of video calls then, mm. but, um, or you know, talking to people across a boardroom, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I'd been a theater student and, and had worked on performance, but I have always tended to be backstage, you know, writing or, or um, doing some sort of, sort of tech rather than being the performer. Mm. So it, I think it took uh, being made to talk to a variety of different people about a variety of different things with that clear goal of by the end of this interview, you need to have found out this useful stuff that we can do something with um, to kind of bring me out of my shell. And um, what I bring from that into, into role-playing games, I, I, I GM a lot for merely role players, but also for home games. Mm. Um, as a GM, you need to, you need to be a curious person, right? You need to, you need to be interested in the characters that are creating the story that you're presiding over. Um, so anytime I'm, I, I ask an interested question about, oh, okay, why did the character make that decision? Or what's the character got in their pockets? Or what from the character's backstory is influencing this? That's all skills that I've built up in the, in the day job. Okay, okay. And you mentioned their home games. Do you, what sort of games or systems do you play at home? And is it sort of, do you just sort of mix in some board games and card games or... Um, so, yeah what do you do with your free time is basically what i'm asking there kind of <laughs> yeah definitely build in some board games um had a great board game weekend uh, about a month ago playing nemesis which is a very complicated um uh, alien and predator kind of inspired uh, board game of exploring a ship and uh, aliens keep bursting out of the vents to try and kill you um very complicated in, if you read the rule book, but actually ended up playing very snappily. Um, and yeah, home games, uh, st- sticking with the horror theme, I've been running a, a campaign of um, Heart, the City Beneath, which I think is my, my maybe my favorite campaign that I've ever run or played in. Mm. Um, which So that's by uh, Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor from Roan, Rook and Deckard. Uh, it is a dungeon delving game in a kind of, uh, reality bending uh, undercity mm. that uh, wants to eat you, <laughs> but also wants to love you and also wants to give you give you everything that you desire. Um, and so that that has, uh, like, I've I've talked about kind of cosmic horror and mm. and dread and hauntings and candlelit vigils. Heart lets me go full body horror, which is not a muscle I've stretched too much up until this point. But um, the book is very good at encouraging you to describe corridors lined with teeth and and tendons stretched across uh, abysses and all sorts of good, terrible, awful, mutated creations. Mm. I mean, I've I own Cult, which is a a dark horror game in mm-hmm. in of itself. But I, I might have to and and this sounds slightly twisted the way I'm sort of almost joyfully saying it, but I might have to check out Heart just to sort of see where, where I sort of uh, lay with it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, really highly recommend it. Uh, but then Light and Shade, I've been running that, but I've also been running Masks, oh, um, nice. which is kind of the opposite tone. You know, mm. it's it's happy-go-lucky teen superheroes who are happy-go-lucky until they 
say something they shouldn't and and alienate all their <laughs> friends and have to go and smash something to make themselves feel better it is the teen the teen drama rpg hmm. yeah no again love to run a, a, a game of that in the future um give it a go uh so with, with all that going on uh dming gming emceeing game mothering keeping <laughs> that's it for call of cthulhu keeping um various systems various games what advice would you give to to gms that want to maybe switch away from a particular system want to try something out try something new with their group be it sort of one page rpgs or a whole new genre maybe or a whole new game system my, my advice for gms especially if they're switching from the big dragon game is do less work uh, and this is primarily why i don't run dungeons and dragons anymore is because i've transitioned to other systems and they are so much less work for the gm so much less of a burden mm. um and you know there are there are dnd dungeon masters who love that and who you know they're it's there it's a joy to them to come up with all of the paths and and um encounters and doing all of the number crunching and creating stat blocks and all of that kind of stuff and more power to you if that is your joy um but i love that i can do 15 minutes prep before a mask game and that's enough yeah and that it doesn't all have to come from me you know that that's the that's where that advice is going. The flippant version is do less work, and the 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 longer, more involved version is um, the story should come as much from the characters and the players and their actions as it does from the the GMs or the DMs prep. Mm. Sorry, I said should there. I try and avoid saying should because everything is correct in role playing games. There is no right or wrong, <laughs> but you know, I found DMing a slog. And I don't find running things like Heart and Masks a slog because they there's stuff baked into the systems uh, that help you as a GM take ideas from the players and respond to what the players are bringing in and follow their plot threads um, in a way that just generates a story and keeps it going mm. without it all having to come from one person's brain. And yeah. I think stories are so much, I have so much more fun when the story can surprise me. And if it was all coming from my brain, if I know what the big bad is and all the different ways they can get there, mm. then then the story can't surprise me. But if uh, somebody rolls uh, badly on a on a masks move and actually the the big bad kind of wins this encounter, then we all get to decide together what happens next. Mm. And that's that's why that's why I play role playing games is to is that emergent story, and that's yeah. kind of you know that's what I wanted to bring to the to a theatre audience as well. Yeah, it's uh, I mean we we have our own city of mist. I shall play, um, and it's it's powered by the apocalypse based. So I, I can identify a lot with what you're saying there. Where it, you know just a a simple failed role twists the story and even if they do succeed but maybe they don't or something else happens and the the way that as you mentioned earlier you can resolve a whole series of events in a single role and it's still exciting it's still dramatic it still allows the players to have the power which is 
you know, where the game comes alive, really, as you say, if it all comes from the one chair, then who's really sort of playing the game? And yeah. And and beyond even dice rolls, you know, the um the culture in indie games generally is uh say the GM says, Okay, you know, here is this mystery, how do you solve it? Uh, a player can say, Well, I'm gonna go and talk to my friend Roberta the Witch. And maybe you've never heard of Roberta the Witch mm. before. She doesn't feature in the GM's prep. Uh, nobody's mentioned her in character creation, but the the player is allowed to make that character exist, mm. and you all get to then find out what happens with her. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a lot of fun, and I have learned. I've tried to, and it's become hard, but tried to turn the D and D games into that kind mm-hmm. of style style of game. Um, so and it, and it, it can be done, but the but the system is kind of fighting you to some extent mm. um, when you when you try to do that. Whereas you know the the difference when you're playing a system that actively supports that kind of play is is a world of difference. I think one of the things I found the most freeing, and it's not a criticism against sort of games like D and D and others that use the initiative structure, but games like and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but games like Mars, Definitely, City of Mist, and other Powered by the Apocalypse, you just you just bounce backwards and forwards, and the GM might not say anything for a good sort of five, ten minutes while the other players are, are going through and resolving things, and everyone's still having fun. You don't have to go, right, so you, then it's me, then two other people, then maybe I'll have a go in ten minutes' time. and You're next. Have a think about what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget it's you next, this kind of thing. <laughs> Please learn your spells. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's so much good advice from you, Matt, and I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, so we've gone over merely role players. Uh, we've gone over Lights Out, this this great production you're going to put on for the for the uh, horror festival. Um, your fantastic team at the Blackshaw Theatre Company and, and other sort of projects that you have and and a little insight into your home game. Is there anything we haven't touched on yet that you would like to to maybe mention about TTRPGs or podcasting or just the community as a as a wider sort of as a whole? I think just that I think it's um it's an exciting time to be in the space. Uh partly just because there's so much great indie game design happening and you know, new, interesting, weird, tiny games popping up on itch.io every day. But also specifically in uh, actual play, whether that's podcasting or streams, um, we're we're kind of at the we're riding the first wave of of a new st- form of storytelling here. And you know, improv is we need to remember what where we've come from and, and acknowledge that this isn't. This isn't entirely new. You know, improv has existed for a long time. Audio drama has existed for a long time. Spoken word, storytelling, collaborative storytelling. But the the formats that we're seeing created now, the kind of growth of podcasts, the growth of streaming, we are all as a community kind of figuring out together what the rules of this new form are. And it's it's like being there when television was was invented and, you know, mm. television storytelling became a thing for the first time you know what does 
what does a serial TV story look like? What does a serialized versus a one-shot actual play uh, production look like? Uh, what is the language that we use to to describe? You know, what is the different effect that you get when it's um, uncut versus kind of heavily produced with music and sound effects? You know, there's so many different people trying different ways and just tweaking this and that here and there that I just think it's a really exciting kind of movement to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. And so people can be excited and, and be a part of everything you do. Would you mind reminding everybody where they can find yourself, merely role players and everything you guys are uh, sort of associated with, please? Sure thing. Uh, so you can find everything I do at foggyoutline.com. Um, all of my socials are there. I have a monthly newsletter where I update people on all of the stuff that's going on. You get previews of lights out and discount codes and all that kind of thing. Um, Merely Role Players, the podcast where theatrical people play role-playing games, is at merelyroleplayers.com, uh, and all of the socials and the Spotify and Apple Podcasts and so on are on that page. Um, lights Out will be at the Pleasance Theatre Islington in London as part of the London Horror Festival on Sunday, the 24th of October at 8.30pm. Uh, if you sign up to my newsletter, there is a discount code, an early bird discount code if you book before the 24th of September. Um, and if you book it as a double bill with Blackshaw Theatre's Scare Slam, which is at 6.30pm, same day, same venue, uh, you'll get an automatic discount applied at checkout as well. Um, I believe that's all the details. Uh, I will uh, make sure everything is put in the description below this podcast. Scroll down, check out the links, check out the the books and, and the games and things that, that we've mentioned. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for spending some of your time to, to take me through everything you and Millie Roleplay is doing, especially about Lights Out. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great talk. Well, I'd love to have you back on the show in the future, maybe for another interview if you're doing another event like this, or maybe for uh, you and yourself or some of your team for a one-shot or something similar, if you'd be willing, of course. Absolutely. Uh, anytime. Uh, ne next time something's happening, you'll be the first to know. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, until we get to speak again, Matt, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the show, then go to www.snidersreturn.com. Dot squarespace .com. Alternatively, you can find us over on Twitter at Return Snyder. We have a link tree link in the description of this episode. And if you want to support us, come and join us over on Patreon. And we also have a Discord server. Uh, please leave us a review because we'd love to learn how to improve the channel and provide better content out for for those who are listening. Uh, until we uh, until we speak again, thank you. <laughs>